1928, going back about 90 years, there was an economist. And I know this is like the most boring way to start off a message ever. You're like, I'm already in church and he's going to talk about economics. Bear with me for about 11 seconds here. There was an economist and his name was John Maynard Keynes. And John Maynard Keynes developed this essay that he wrote. And it was called The Economic Future of Our Grandchildren. And in this essay, he wrote, because of all the technological advances that were happening in 1928 in North America, because of the Industrial Revolution and all the progress that was being made, he predicted that by the year 2000, that the average North American worker would only work three days a week. And the biggest problem that any one of us would face is what to do with all of our extra free time. Anybody there this morning? Is that you? Did you work three days this week? Were you like, oh my gosh, I've got too many hours in the day. I don't know what to do here. No, of course not. It didn't turn out that way at all. He was not only wrong, he was completely wrong. When you look at the studies, you find out that the average Canadian is working more hours in 2017 than at any other time in history. Not only that, but we report having fewer leisure hours or free hours than at any other point in history. Anybody say, yeah, if I'm honest, that describes me. I'm working more. I feel like I've got less time for the things that I want to do. Absolutely. And if we somehow manage to get some extra free time, like somehow we fit it into our schedule, we carve out some space, we're like, ah, that lasts for one week. And then we fill that free space with something else altogether so that it's no longer free time. It's like this busy schedule, this overwhelming, overextended way of living has become the norm. It has become the way that you and I live each and every week. I mean, is it surprising that we're all so stressed and depressed? Is that really surprising? Is it really that surprising that it takes three beers to relax at the end of the day? Is it really that surprising that it feels like somebody keeps upping the speed on the treadmill and we're running faster and faster every day and yet we never make any progress? I don't think it's all that surprising. When we cram our schedules so full, when we chase after what are probably good things, we end up missing out on so many of the best things that God has for us. And not only... Not only is it just like the scheduling and kind of the mental and emotional stress that we undergo because of this, it affects our spiritual lives as well. Because we are so overextended, because we're so overworked and overwhelmed, and guys, I'm talking to everybody, I'm talking to myself, because we choose to live this sort of life, there is no room at all for spiritual practices in our life. Are you kidding me? No way. It's not that we think something like prayer or reading the Bible or serving other people or going to church regularly. It's not that we would say, oh, that's not, it's not important. Nobody needs to do that. No, all of us would say, yeah, it's probably a good thing if I would spend some time doing that. But I just don't know how it would fit into my cramped and crowded schedule. I just don't know where I would put it. I already get up at like 4.30, 5.30 in the morning. I got to get the kids off. I got to go to work. Then I'm coming home and cooking dinner and doing the lawn and all of those different things. It's not that we think these spiritual habits and practices are a bad thing. We just couldn't figure out where to put them if we wanted to start doing them. We might even say something like, you know, I'm just too busy right now. 
I'm, I'm just too busy to pray at the moment. I'm just too busy to serve other people right now. Maybe in the future, my schedule will calm down when I retire or something like that. And then I'll have the room, I'll have the space, I'll have the margin that I need to do what I know that I should do. The irony in that kind of statement, though, is that in reality, you're too busy not to do those things. You are too busy not to pray regularly. In fact, it's precisely because you're so busy and strung out and stressed out and frazzled and snapping at home and snapping at work and feeling totally overwhelmed. It is precisely because of that that you ought to be investing time in prayer, in Bible study, in worship, in service, and a host of other things. Because according to the scripture, and, and from what I found in my experience, these things are like anchors that keep us grounded, that keep us focused on what really matters when we're feeling totally overwhelmed by life. I'm going to read you a story this morning as we dive into our very first week on this series, Too Busy Not To. And this story this morning is going to focus on the fact that you and I should be uh, dedicating some time in our day to spending time with God. We could call it prayer, we could call it worship, quiet time, whatever it is. But in this story, uh, we're going to see somebody who back in the first century was every bit as stressed out as you are today. And we're going to see what happened when they failed to make time for their relationship with God, when they failed to live within the margins that God had laid out for them. Too busy not to. Luke chapter number 10 is the passage this morning. It's only five verses. It's not very much. It's a pretty cool and straightforward story. We're going to read it, and we'll just take it verse by verse this morning, okay? We'll just go through it a little slowly and, and pick out some really interesting things. Luke chapter number 10, we'll start reading in verse 38. If you want to follow along in your copy of the Bible, cool. If not, all the verses are on the screen for you. The Bible says this, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Okay, so this, this story starts out by introducing us to one of the characters, a lady named Martha. Now, we know from this passage and from several others that Martha, her sister Mary, and their brother Lazarus are pretty important people in Jesus' life and ministry. They show up several different times. In fact, Lazarus, the brother, although he's not mentioned at all in this story, I don't know what dude was doing taking a nap or something, but he's not mentioned, okay? But Lazarus was the same guy that a few months earlier, the Bible says Jesus raised from the dead. He got sick and died, and the Bible says Jesus performed what was arguably his greatest miracle before the crucifixion, and he raised Lazarus back to life. And so we read this story about Mary, Martha, and then their brother Lazarus as well. And the scripture says that Jesus was on his way down to Jerusalem, and when he got to the village of Bethany, that Martha welcomed Jesus into his home. Now, one of the things you may not know about Jesus was that he was essentially homeless. For the full three years that he was in ministry, um, teaching and preaching and doing miracles and all those things, he didn't have a home base. He didn't have a giant mega church. And he was like, all right, boys, time to go out this week. We'll be back at church on Sunday. No, instead, he went out every single day, everywhere he went. He traveled all over his country, teaching people, leading people, doing miracles and all of these things. And 
As he went along, he was itinerant. That meant he relied on the hospitality and generosity of people to provide for him as he went. So every city he traveled to, he just showed up and trusted God that somebody would give him a place to stay. It's like you walked all the way to Edmonton and you showed up and you're like, all right, God, I'm hoping you're going to bring me across somebody this morning that will let me stay at their house. That was Jesus' way of life. Now, he shows up in Bethany, and the scripture says that Martha welcomes him into her home. What's important to realize here, though, is that Jesus was not alone in this, okay? He traveled with an entourage. And so when he's walking around, we know for sure that the 12 apostles are with him, and scholars tell us there could have been as much as 100 other people in his squad rolling through the country of Israel with him. So I want you to imagine what Martha was really agreeing to here. It wasn't just like, ah, oh, yeah, we got a spare bedroom in the back. Jesus, take it. No, no, no. This was a giant group of people. And in their culture, hospitality was incredibly important. You had to do a good job. Can you imagine, ladies, if your husband called you on the phone this morning, later this afternoon? And he's like, hey, babe, I invited 100 people over tonight. Most of them are going to crash at our place. And by the way, one of them's the son of God. Martha is under some serious pressure here, you guys. Like, this is her reputation. And this is Jesus, the guy who had raised her brother from the dead. She wanted to do a really, really good job. And so she was set, but man, was she under the gun. There was a lot of pressure on poor Martha to deliver in this scenario. Now, one more thing I want to point out about this verse. The scripture said that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. If you continue to read through the book of Luke, what you find out is he is taking his walk to his execution. He's in the north part of the country. He's going to make his way to the capital in the south. And there he is going to be put to death for my sin, for your sin, for what the Roman government called treason. And that meant that this was the last time that Jesus was ever going to go through the town of Bethany. That Martha had an opportunity that she was never going to get again. This was her only chance if she were going to welcome Jesus in, if she were going to provide for his posse, if she were going to uh, be hospitable and gracious and welcoming to him. Imagine if Martha had been so busy with other things in her life. If she was like, oh, I don't know, I got to deal with the kids and then I've got work and I've got all these other things. I just don't have time, Jesus. Good luck to you. I hope somebody will welcome you in, but it just can't be me today. She would have missed out on one of the most special and unique opportunities that anybody could ever have. When I look at my life, I, I have to wonder how many times I'm faced with this incredible opportunity God brings something totally unique, something wonderful, something that is life-changing to my front door. But I'm too busy with any and every other thing to be able to welcome that opportunity in. Too many of us are living such a busy life. Our schedules are too stretched out, too jam-packed full of stuff. That when God gives us these life-changing, once-in-a-lifetime opportunities, we can't say yes. It's not that we wouldn't. We just can't because we don't have any margin at all built into our schedule. So Martha welcomes Jesus into her home. Then the, verse, uh, the next verse here, verse 39, tells us about Martha's sister, Mary 
Her sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. So Martha welcomes Jesus into their home. We're going to find out that she gets really busy making preparations, putting together dinner, making sure everybody's comfortable. And the scripture says that Mary sat at Jesus' feet, listening while he taught. Now, look, this is kind of easy for us to just read right over. If you read this verse really quickly, then you're like, oh, I get it. It's kind of setting up the conflict that's going to come in the next verse where, you know, Martha gets angry at Mary because she's just sitting around and being lazy. We can say, okay, that's what it is. It's just setting the stage for the next verse. But I want you to understand how important this little detail is. This little detail is a key to understanding this entire passage. It says that Martha was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus listening while he talked. Do you understand that in Jesus' day, women were not allowed to be formally educated? They could not be taught by rabbis, certainly not in the company of men. And so when the scripture says that Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and she was being educated by the rabbi, in mixed company, as he taught about God and God's plans for the world, that was scandalous in their culture. For us, we're like, yeah, of course, big deal. There's a lady there. But for them, it would have been like, there's a lady here? Oh, my gosh. That is, oh, no, somebody do something, you know? It would have been totally improper in their world. It would have been dangerous, they would have said, for a woman to be educated by a rabbi. Oh my goodness, can't believe it's happening. And yet Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and she's being educated. What we find when we read through the scripture is that Jesus welcomed women to become his disciples. Okay? He welcomed women to become his disciples. He didn't push them to the margins. He didn't say, oh, sorry, you're created lesser somehow. No, he said you were created in the image of God as well. And you have a part to play in God's plan to redeem and reconcile the world. And so he welcomed women. He discipled women. And then he released women to go out and to change the world, just like he did with men. In fact, historians tell us that one of the reasons that Christianity spread as quickly as it did in the first century is because it elevated the status of women in a way that no other system did in that part of the world at that time. Nobody else was educating and releasing women. And Jesus allowed that to happen, and boom, the thing blows up. Because ladies are the ones who make stuff happen. Let's be real honest here. Seriously. Okay, you've heard your whole life that Christianity is misogynistic and it wants to hold women down and keep them in their place. And there are certainly people that have tried to use the Bible and scriptures to those ends. But can I tell you, when you look at the way Jesus interacted with women, you don't see that at all. You see him welcoming women, teaching them, giving them a place at the table, and then releasing them to go and to serve. The reason why this detail is so important in the narrative of the story is because Mary realized that Jesus offered her something she could not find anywhere else. Mary was not lazy. It wasn't like she was like, oh, I'm so tired of working with Martha. She's such a nag. <laughs> no, Mary realized that Jesus offered her something that she could not find anywhere else. She could not go to any other rabbi and be educated. She could not go to any school and be accepted as a student. She could not be welcomed. She could not be affirmed. She could not be taught and released. She could only find that in Jesus. 
And I think that's the reason she sits at his feet. That's the reason we're going to see that Jesus affirms her and challenges Martha in the way that she's handling everything. There are some things that cannot be found anywhere else besides Jesus. There are some things that you've been searching for. The deepest, richest, most transformative things that you have been searching for are not found in a corner office. They're not found in a perfect GPA. Those things are not found in your spouse. They're not found in your kids. The things that our culture are searching for are not found in another weekend away in the mountains. They're not found at the bottom of a pill bottle. They are found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Listen, guys, you can say, oh, well, that's your opinion, blah, blah, blah. But I'm telling you, I have experienced it. My life was transformed. I sought meaning and purpose and hope in every other avenue I could. In alcohol, in drugs, in sex, in everything else. And guess what? The only thing that fully and finally satisfied me was Jesus. Mary recognized there are certain things that can only be found in Jesus. Martha got a little confused on that particular issue. You know what our, our busy schedules prove? They prove that we secretly think we're the ones in control. They prove that we believe we're the ones who are in charge. We think, oh, I've got to make stuff happen. If I don't work hard, if I don't put in the time, if I don't schedule every hour of my week, then somebody else is going to get a leg up. I'm going to lag behind. My kids are not going to have everything they need. Oh, my gosh, it's going to be the end. Because secretly, deep down, we believe that we are the ones in control. That the things that we want most in life, we've got to go out and find them or create them or earn them. The story of Mary and Martha, though, is that there are certain things, in fact, the best things, you guys, they're only found in Jesus. Only found in Jesus. Martha's predicament, her way of looking at the situation was like, I've got to work. I've got to put in time. All these people need to be fed. Jesus needs to be taken care of, so I'm going to get to work. But Mary said, no, 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 no. This is an opportunity that I cannot let my schedule keep me from. There is something that is so wonderful here that I don't care what other obligations, what other yeses I've made in the past. I cannot let this opportunity pass me by. Too many of us are so busy that we cannot do that. And here's what happens. Over time, because we believe we're the only ones that are working to make stuff happen. Like, if I don't work hard, then my kids are going to suffer. They're not going to have the future I want. I won't get ahead at my job. It's like, I'm the only one doing anything. If we're not careful, we can become very bitter and angry people. Because we feel as though we're the only ones doing anything. Because we feel like everything is on our shoulders. The future of our kids, we feel like, oh, we're the ones who carry it. I'm the one who's responsible. If I feed them like sugary cereal instead of the healthy cereal, they're going to end up in jail one day and that'll be on me. <laughs> we laugh because we know we carry stupid weight like that. We believe we're the only ones who are responsible for our future. And what happens is we hold on tightly, we work harder than we have to, and we still don't get ahead. That's because the things you're searching for are found only in Jesus. The things you're searching for are not bad. 
Working hard for them is not bad. You're just looking in the wrong place. You're asking them to give you something they were never designed to provide. Jesus is where all of that is actually found. I want you to look at how bitter Martha actually is here. She gets so bitter and angry at her sister for sitting around while she's working hard that she actually interrupts Jesus and starts bossing him around. Look at this next verse. I love it. It's amazing. The verse says, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. She came to Jesus while he's teaching, 100 people sitting around the living room. And she says, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Man, she's so angry and bitter because she's stressed out, overextended, overworked, doesn't have any margin left, that she actually bosses the son of God around. You got to be having a bad day to lash out at the Messiah, for reals. Like, it's got to be a really bad day for you to kind of tell him what you think. And yet, that's exactly what Martha does. She is so busy because she thinks she's the only one in life who's going to make anything happen. Do you notice what she said there? Doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work. She honestly believed that she was the only one who was working towards a good end in her situation. She thought, oh, I'm the only one. Nobody else seems concerned with how many dishes are piling up, how clean the house is. Nobody seems concerned that we've got money that are bills at the end of the month and we don't have money for it. Nobody cares. I'm the only one. And man, that sounds an awful lot like our families, doesn't it? Martha believed she was the only one working. She believed that everything was riding on her shoulders and it made her bitter at the people around and it made her angry at God as if he didn't care. Maybe if you find yourself with a lot of bitterness and you find yourself constantly angry at the people in your office or the folks at home, the ones that you love, if you find yourself consistently bitter and angry with them, maybe they need to make some changes, sure, but maybe it's not all on them. Maybe part of the problem is you've overscheduled yourself to the point that you are out of gas, and then you take it out on everybody else. Listen, I do it. There's a fair chance you do it too, because it seems pretty common. We need to give some margin, some room, some breathing space so that our relationships, both with the people around us and with God, can be better than we ever thought or imagined. So Jesus responds to her, and his response is really important. He says, my dear Martha, not like, lady, psh, knock it off. No, he doesn't say that. He empathizes. He understands, right? He gets it. Because there's like Marthas in the world who are task-oriented, type A sorts of people. She was probably the little kid at, like when her and Mary and Lazarus were like young. She would stomp in and she's like, Mom, Mary's singing and dancing and she's not cleaning her room again, you know. Jesus understands there are some of us that are wired to get stuff done, okay? So he empathizes, but he challenges. And he says, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all of these details. 
The, the words that he uses there in Greek for worried and upset, it literally means you're in constant turmoil and chaos as you look after your own wants and needs. You're worried. Your life is in total chaos because you are only concerned with, or you think you're the only one concerned with, your wants and needs. See, the idea that you need to stress and worry, and you're the only one that's responsible for how your kids turn out, how your job goes, how your family manages. The idea that you're the only one responsible for that is completely and totally false. Do you realize Mar Martha forgot that Jesus makes food? Like it's one of the things that he does, you know? You read through the Bible and you find out the very first miracle that Jesus ever performed was he turned water into wine at a wedding banquet. Then there was another time where he took a kid's sack lunch and he fed an entire stadium full of people with it. it she could have gone to Jesus and said, Jesus, this is a bit overwhelming, man. I invited you. I didn't know there were going to be a hundred other people that showed up. Can you help me out, please? No, she believed that she was only responsible and she forgot that the source of everything she sought was right in front of her. She thought... I got to do it or it ain't going to get done. She thought, I'm the only one here. And if I fail at this, then we're never going to get where we should be. But she forgot that there was a God who knows her, loves her, and can provide for her when she's at the end of her rope, when she has nothing left to give. In fact, the things that she wants to give, she can't even provide. And the whole time, she has the solution, the answer right in front of her. Now look, I'm guilty of this. I really am. I will, I will spend three hours a day on social media advertising for the church and like 10 minutes praying for it. You will spend eight or 10 hours a week running your kids all over this city so that they can be involved in sports and clubs and activities and you'll go weeks without saying any intentional prayers for them. You will work hard to keep your house cleaned, and you'll never pray and thank God for what you have in the process. It's like we have this bent towards Martha, towards work, towards believing that we are the ones who are responsible and in control, and the whole time the things that we're really searching for are sitting right in front of us. Now, look, I'm not saying, and I don't want you to misunderstand here, I'm not saying that, like, you shouldn't work hard, okay? That's not at all what I mean. If you think that we, um, you know, this church, we started this church by sitting in our living room and praying together, then you're completely mistaken, okay? We had to get out and hustle. We had to meet you guys. We had to develop friendships and relationships and all of those different things. I'm not opposed to work. God is certainly not opposed to work. Nobody's saying that you should just, you know, Fold your legs and relax and wait for God to give you everything. That's not it at all. But what I think the scripture teaches is that we should live Mary first and Martha second. We should live Mary first and Martha second. There is nothing at all wrong with working like Martha if you've put in some Mary time on the front end. It doesn't have to be the majority of your time. You can put in a small but quality amount of time with God in his presence praying and worshiping and it will pay huge dividends later in your day when you're running around like Martha. 15 minutes of prayer 
and then five hours of work will yield better results in your life than 10 hours of work and no prayer at all. According to Jesus here, he says to her in this verse that there's only one thing worth pursuing, that it's the thing that Mary is concerned about. She's discovered it and it will never be taken from her. Jesus is saying to us that worship should come before work. Work is okay, but worship should come first. Relationship should take priority in our lives over results. And that a full heart will give better things for you and your family than a full schedule ever will. Mary first, Martha second. And he says, the reason why this is so incredibly important, the reason that you should devote even a small amount of time every day to being in God's presence, to praying, to practicing spiritual disciplines is because what you get in that moment can never be taken from you. You see, if you are in control, if you are the one who's responsible for your kids, for your job, for your marriage, for everything, if you're the only one and it's all riding on you, then it's all riding on you. And you should feel pressure. And you have to admit that if you are the one who has to earn it, there's the possibility that you could lose it. And yet Jesus says, when we spend time in his presence, when we give ourselves even just a little bit each day over to God, we gain something that can never be taken from us. Do you understand that when you spend time in God's presence, it isn't your, your circumstances that change, it's you. You are the one who changes. You become somebody new, somebody different. And that cannot be taken from you. You can, you can give 60 or 70 hours a week to your company and get a pink slip and you're done. You can give and give and give to your children and God, I hope it doesn't happen, but they can make some terrible decisions and walk away from family and break your heart. There is something that you can find in Jesus that can never be taken from you. That's the reason it's so worth investing in. That's the reason you should live Mary first, Martha second. That's the reason that you should give yourself to a, a time of prayer each day. That's the reason that you should be committed to worship despite how crazy and hectic and busy your schedule is. Can you imagine how your life would change if you stopped believing that you're the only one responsible? And you started believing that, hey, even when I'm at my end, even when I've got nothing left in the tank, even when I don't have the resources I want, there is a Father in heaven who is still looking out for me. Man, you would be a lot less stressed. You'd be a lot more, a lot less likely rather to lash out. Things really could change, but it will require you to carve out a little time and spend it with your heavenly Father.